Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. If you're taking notes, and I want to encourage you to, because it'll give you something to talk about other than politics later on with your family, which will be a gift that I give to you for Christmas. Uh, The title of my message is Remembering It Wrong, Remembering It Wrong. Uh, my, uh, my siblings and I, we're all, we're all grown now, um, 40 years older, older. And so um, when we get together, uh, around, especially around the holidays, we get together and we, we find ourselves sort of reminiscing about the past. Especially at Christmas, we start talking about Christmases that went by. We start swapping memories and talking about different things that happened and trying to remember things that happened when we were kids. And uh, it's just sort of this thing that we do. We end up like talking over each other and... Uh, you start remembering things where you're like, I'd kind of forgotten that. And one of the things that happens when we do this is we don't always remember things identically. And so then we end up fighting over, you know, who remembered it correctly. Has anybody ever done this before? You're just fighting with people. And uh, this is a picture of me and two of my sisters, the twin sisters. And uh, look at how cute. Uh, man, I don't know why I was trying to eat my whole hand uh, in this picture. But we were, and my mom loved us matching, and uh, my, one of my sisters is here. We are not matching, and I think it's because of the scarring that happened during this stage of our, our upbringing. And uh, one, of my, one of my sisters and I uh, were talking the other day about just uh, a memory that we had, and I was trying to remember it. I was asking her about it because it happened to her, um, and there was, this is basically, this is how I remember it, is that we were out on the front porch, and it was kind of like elevated, and there was this banister, and she fell backward off the banister. It was like four feet off the ground. She was probably about this age. And she fell off, and it like, like there was a cinder block, and it sliced her ear clean off. That's how I remembered it, okay? And I asked her about it, and I was like, remember when your ear fell off when we were kids? And she was like, no, it didn't fall off. Like, it nicked, the lobe was like hanging. And I'm like, okay, that's different but also disgusting and I'm like you sure it wasn't the whole thing and I remember it being the whole thing and she was like no it wasn't the whole ear because I remembered it being like a Van Gogh thing where the whole ear came off and we we gave it you know we had it as an ornament on the tree I don't know in my head it was more interesting and elaborate and she she was like no that's not how it happened I remember her being shoved by her sister by the other the, the evil twin in this picture you can tell you know I rem- and she was like, no, she didn't shove me. I just fell. And I'm like, I don't know if that's how it went down. And then she remembers being nervous about getting stitches. And I just remember eating ice cream at the old lady's house across the street uh, when she was at the hospital. And so we have different recollections of like what actually took place. And I wonder if you have ever had this experience where you recount a memory that you share with somebody else and their version is way different than yours. And you're like, <laughs> I think you're remembering it wrong, okay? That's not how it went down. And maybe you are. You know, maybe, maybe you have some of the details wrong. Or maybe you just remember it from a different perspective. Maybe you're, you, you, when you lived through the moment, you focused in on different details. Maybe you came to different conclusions. 
Because here's the reality of the ways in which stories work. A story isn't events. It's an interpretation of events. And maybe you've never thought about this before, but like in the same way that, that you and I, we get together with our families around Christmas time and we tell stories, so would Jesus and his family. Only for them, you know, it wasn't Christmas yet. You know what I mean? It, was, it wasn't this big international holiday. It was just one of their family members' birthday. And it held a lot of significance for their family, but that doesn't mean that they didn't remember it differently. And I imagine Jesus sitting around with his family over the years, around this time of year, like debating about what actually happened. Like, I don't remember his head glowing. Is that just me? I don't, I don't remember that part at all. I do remember a drummer boy. Did that happen? I don't know. Remember that one shepherd who was shirtless the whole time? That was weird. Like, you're about to meet the Lord, throw on a tunic. You know what I mean? Do something. Just feels a little inappropriate. The cattle were lowing, people sing that. I don't remember any cattle. I remember a lot of sheep and that weird donkey who was like eating everyone's sandals. I don't, maybe that's just a memory I have. I'm pretty sure too that the wise men, they came later. Like it wasn't then, it was like, like I remember it was, it, was, it was after the barn, but it was before the Egypt house. I remember that, but I don't remember exactly somewhere. And at some point, you know, somebody was like, James, you don't remember anything. You weren't even born yet, Okay. <laughs> And he was like, I feel like I was there. And Jesus is like, no, my younger brother couldn't have been born before me and present at my birth. That would be weird. And James is like, this whole story is weird. So I don't know. And I bring this up because even Matthew and Luke, the two disciples who give us the version of the Christmas story that we have, have different versions of the same story. They make different observations. They obsess over different details. Like what one of them thinks is highly important, the other one doesn't even include. And the reason this matters is the reason that all storytelling matters. It's that what happened isn't nearly as important as what you tell yourself about what happened. And when it comes to Christmas, then, like what happened? And the truth is I don't know because I wasn't there. But... Luke recounts it this way, and I want to just read this to you. It says in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, that at that, that, at that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire and all return to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child, and while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. And that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid! <laughs> Which I'm sure calmed them right down. There's an exclamation point. I just felt like to be true to the text, it needed to be shouted. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby 
wrapped snugly. That's twice the word snugly is used in the word of the Lord. And strips of cloth lying in a manger, and suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, further calming down the shepherds, <laughs> praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. And they hurried to the village, and they found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger, and after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. And that last line is, is really fascinating to me. That Mary kept all these things in her heart and she thought about them often. And in fact, the more translations you actually look this up in, the more sort of English crossovers, the more interesting I think it becomes. I just want to give you a handful of these examples. Um, Mary, one version says, Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Those of you that grew up with the uh, King James, that's what you'll recognize. Mary kept these things to herself, holding them dear deep within her heart. Mary kept these things like a secret treasure in her heart. She thought about them over and over, Mary treasured all these things in her heart and meditated on them. Mary hid these words in her heart and she thought about them a lot. Mary preserved these things, pondering in her heart. Now I want you just to think about this for a moment. Kept, treasured, hid, preserved, pondered, meditated. These are words that speak to a very particular type of remembering. And to me, it's not very interesting that she remembered this moment. Who wouldn't? What's interesting to me is what it was that she held on to. Because every mother sort of hides away the birth of her babies in her heart. But what Mary holds deep and dear isn't the, the cooing cuteness of her newborn baby, but the countless indicators that she was destined to raise a revolutionary. In other words, the thing that I want you to understand about this is that Mary is choosing what version of the story to tuck away. And maybe you're wondering, like, how else would you remember it? But think about all the details of their experience. They're poor and destitute. Nobody believes that she's really a virgin. She and Joseph uproot their lives, and they travel across country only to be rejected by their family. King Herod, who is in charge of where they live at the time, wants their son dead and has every boy his age murdered. They're forced to live on the run. They flee somewhere they don't know anyone. They face a lot of discrimination and loneliness. Most people think they're crazy. Religious people accuse them of heresy. And even the wise men's gifts have dark undertones, like myrrh is an embalming fluid. What a weird gift for a baby. It's suggesting that the infant that Mary is holding in her arms is going to die young because of the way his views threaten the status quo. And I would say if you were a mom, you wouldn't have to try very hard to remember this baby's birth story as a tragedy. But she refuses to. Because for Mary, there's no room in her heart for a version of this story framed with a victim mentality. 
Psychologist Dan McAdams, he's an expert on something called narrative identity. And he says that, that people tell two types of stories when they go through a really difficult season, when they encounter a prolonged time of suffering. One story that they tell is something called a contamination story. And a contamination story goes like this. Like things were fine until that happened and destroyed everything and ruined my life. And the other type of story people tell on the other end of suffering is what's called a redemption story, which goes like this. Like things were fine until that happened and disrupted everything and refocused my life. It gave my life intention. It gave my life meaning. It allowed me to interpret my story in a completely different way. It gave me a sense of purpose. And I think essentially what all of this research points to is that you don't get to select your defining moments, but you do get to shape the definition. How they impact you, what they say about you. And, and this is why one New Testament author gives us this advice. Maybe you've heard this before. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Now, this isn't suggesting like blind positivity. The solution isn't to live in denial of anything dark that happens in your life. What this author is saying is that some stories deserve to be told more than others. And a lot of us tell ourselves the darkest versions way more than we should. What we are repeating to ourselves isn't helping us become who we're meant to be. And here's the point that I want to make. The story that you store in your heart determines the destiny you step into. In other words, the way you look back forms how you move forward. The truth is, everybody ponders. Everybody hides things in their heart. Everybody treasures things and tucks things away. The question is, what is it that you're pondering? One Old Testament writer wrote this, and above everything else, guard your heart, because everything you do comes from it. And maybe this sounds familiar, because this is a verse that Christian dads like to quote to their daughters about why they shouldn't date, okay? <laughs> Some of you are like, I didn't even know you could do that. You can. I mean, it's out of context, but like, use whatever you need to. <laughs> but this verse really isn't about romance. This verse is about rumination. And rumination is essentially repetitively repeating or replaying negative thoughts to yourself, focusing on their stressful causes and consequences as opposed to solutions. Now, as you read that, have you ever done that? Some of you are like, today or since we got to the service? Like, some of us, Rumination is our most favored pastime. We sit around thinking about what went wrong and, and what we regret and what we should have done and why our story isn't working out now because it should have gone differently and it should have been differently and it should have happened in a different sort of way. I imagine Mary had the opportunity to do the same thing, to look at the events in her story and say to herself, 
No one likes me. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be in this situation. I, I can't raise this baby. I don't know what I'm doing. And everybody's mad about something like I didn't even do. Joseph doesn't even love me. He's stuck with me. Nothing's going to work out. God isn't going to come through. What was I thinking? God wouldn't choose me for something like this. There's nothing special about me. Also, this baby that's supposed to be so amazing doesn't, I'm just going to be real, it doesn't seem that special. It just seems like a kid, an annoying kid who cries all the time. I wonder if you've ever thought about this before. This is the thing I've been meditating on over the past couple weeks. God could have picked anyone to be the mother of Jesus. Any person in all of human history, but he chose Mary. Why? And I wonder, could some of it be the way she sees situations, the way she interprets events, the way she frames stories for her family? Could it be part of the reason that Jesus grew up into who he was, was that his mom continually reminded him of who he was destined to be, even as a baby? And she was relentless all through his life. I, I, maybe you don't know this, but she was the one who actually pushed him into performing his first miracle, to which he responded to her, not now, woman, I'm not ready. <laughs> Bold to just say, woman, to your mom, by the way. <laughs> That's how you get slapped real hard where I grew up. <laughs> he says, I'm not ready, and she doesn't care. She tells him to do it anyway because she's been ready since before he was born. I think one thing that is amazing about Mary is there was never a time where she did not believe in him. And I think the events of Jesus' birth story are extraordinary, but what made them truly transformative was the way his mother told the story. And what she chose to remember and repeat to him about his story led to him laying down his life to redeem your story. Think about how much our faith just involves storytelling. For 2,000 years, we have been gathering together and telling the same stories over and over and over again. Wrestling through their details together, reinterpreting them, finding ourselves, both who we are and who we could be inside of them. And I think recounting the nativity isn't just about remembering Jesus' story, but reminding ourselves of the importance of evaluating and interpreting our story in light of his an exercise that should cause us to be really careful about what we keep and treasure and hide and preserve and ponder and meditate on deep in our hearts. Because as another wisdom writer says in the Old Testament, as a person thinks in his heart, so is he. So here's the question I have for you on Christmas Eve. What sort of story are you telling like, is it a good one about your own life and existence? Is it a compelling one? Is it one worth watching? Is it one worth binging? 
Is it one worth rooting for and investing in? Do you see it as exciting and inspiring and quirky and entertaining? Because it should be. And if you don't like the story that your life is telling in this moment, is it that you are living it wrong or that you're telling it wrong? Both can be remedied, by the way. I think that's the hope of Christmas. And in fact, once you begin to zoom out and start telling your story differently, you can't help but begin to live it differently. And for the record, here's the part of your story that is most worth repeating. That the creator of the universe so loved you that he came to earth, that he was born as a baby, that he lived as an example for you and died on behalf of you because he places limitless value on you. God is the only one who gets to define you and he invites you to follow him because he knows that if you do, you will experience the fulfillment that you are ultimately designed for. And I'm telling you, if you echo this to yourself enough, it can't help but change the destiny of you and everyone around you. I think the gift that Mary gives all of us on Christmas is a gift that we are called to give to the people in our lives. The gift of framing our story through the lens of hope and light that comes from a God who crosses a galaxy to be with the people he loves most. Who are these people? You. You. Today on this Christmas, maybe you are sort of fumbling through your story. Maybe you've never learned to tell it well and, and maybe if you're honest you're not really living it well maybe today on this Christmas Eve 2023 is the day in which you open your heart and your life and you begin to evaluate and interpret your story through the lens of Jesus's because when you allow him to lead you and guide you to forgive you, to comfort you, to direct you, to care for you, to advise you. It changes and transforms everything. And that's what I want to pray into your life today. Would you do me a favor? Would you just bow your heads uh, across this room and close your eyes? There's nothing magical about it. It just helps you focus in this moment so you're not thinking about the people around you. And as your eyes are closed and your head is bowed, I want you to think about this. What could next year look like if you made a decision at the end of this year to connect your story to Jesus's? And maybe you're in a place where you are ready to surrender, trying to do your life your way and hand your story over to the one who breathed it into being. And if that's you today, I want to pray for you specifically on this Christmas Eve. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to invite you to stand. I'm not going to make you come on stage. I just want to pray for you right where you are. Would you just lift a hand and say, that's, that's me. 
I need something to shift. I need God to meet me where I'm at. I need his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy, his direction. There's hands in every single section. I want to just lead you in a prayer. Everybody's heads bowed and eyes still closed. And if you lifted a hand, would you just pray along in your heart? My words aren't nearly as important as the cry of your heart to God in all sincerity. God, you see every person in this place. You saw every hand that was raised. You see every heart in this room. You know what we are going through. You know what we have done. You know what we've experienced. You know all of the ways we have stumbled in our story trying to figure out how to make meaning in our lives, trying to figure out how to survive the difficulties that we face. And some of us, because of certain things that have happened, we feel like we are living in a contaminated story, but you want to bring to us today a sense of redemption. That as your love and your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness, as your wisdom flood our hearts and our lives, God, may we experience this sense that you aren't going to waste a single detail of our stories, that you are taking us somewhere, and that somewhere is somewhere good. God, may, may we give you complete control of our decision-making, of our hopes and our dreams, and God, may you enable us to reinterpret our story through the lens of your grace. And may you make something beautiful out of the most messy parts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org corona or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening. And we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.